Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Amara Jones. Welcome to the Translash Podcast, a show where we tell trans stories to save trans lives. Well, this week is the premiere of HBO Max's brand new show and program, House of the Dragon, which extends and continues to tell the stories from the Game of Thrones universe, this time as a prequel. And like so many people in our community, I am a sci-fi and fantasy nerd. I can geek out about that more than you probably even want to know about. And we look forward to telling more sci-fi and fantasy stories and have those conversations here on the Translash podcast. But this week, in anticipation of House of Dragons release on Sunday, August the 21st, I was on the thrilling podcast, Black Girl Nerds, to talk about House of the Dragon and specifically the way in which issues around gender and gender identity actually Uh, sexuality and race are all playing out in this series in new and powerful ways. And so Jamie, who is the host of the Black Girl Nerds podcast, had me on to talk about that. And we had a wide ranging conversation about so many of the intersections that we live that I've already touched upon. So make sure that you listen to this podcast if you are a fan of the show or you're thinking about the show. It, of course, was recorded beforehand, but we're touching upon all of the things that you need to know to get situated for Sunday night's program. And of course, be sure to subscribe to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. And one last thing before we get to the heart of our conversation is the fact that this month, the Translash Podcast is a spotlight of Apple Podcasts. So make sure that you go to the Apple Podcast page and check out all of their content surrounding the Translash Podcast and be sure to like and review us. Now, onto our conversation about House of the Dragon. You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Boys and girls, it's the BGN Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends All the way from Hollywood to the PCN She defends everyone from sleazy men Won't apologize for spitting Shonda rhymes The space that we make is never colonized Talking games and movies and actors Words. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds Better shake your booties for black girl nerds Yeah Better shake your booties for black girl nerds Better shake your booties for black girl nerds Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. As we gear up for the premiere of House of the Dragon, we are dedicating an episode to all things related to the show. And we have a two-part episode with two amazing guests to discuss all things House of the Dragon. 
First up is our guest, Amara Jones. Amara is an award-winning journalist, thought leader, content creator, and founder who pushes the envelope to help us think in new ways. She's the creator of Translash Media, a cross-platform journalism and personal storytelling narrative project. She's also a huge Game of Thrones fan, and we talk about how we are ready for the upcoming House of the Dragon series. In our second segment, we chat with Greta Johnson. She is the host of a new podcast that is launched called the official Game of Thrones podcast, House of the Dragon. And she also is the host of Nerdette. In the new House of the Dragon podcast, it will feature interviews with cast, crew, celebrity fans, and creator George R.R. Martin to dive deep to the ins and outs of Game of Thrones. So... We're excited to talk to both of these fantastic guests as you gear up and get ready for the season premiere of House of the Dragon, which premieres on Sunday, August 21st on HBO. So mark your calendars for that. And by the way, Black Girl Nerds will be live tweeting House of the Dragon using the hashtag dragons, y'all. So don't forget about that as we have a lot of fun on social media and so much more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Just a quick production note. During Amara's recording, I did actually view episode one of House of the Dragon, but during Greta's interview, I did not see House of the Dragon. So just wanted to clear up that discrepancy. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I'm your host. It is all about House of the Dragon. This is a show that we have been very excited about, highly anticipating on. And I'm excited to talk with you guys with this incredible guest who is just as much of a fan about this show as I am. And um, and by show, I'm talking about House of the Dragon. I got to get that right. I'm, I still have Game of Thrones in my head for some reason. But House of the Dragon, I'm here with Amara Jones, who is the creator of Translash Media, the host of the Translash podcast. And um, Amara, I want, us, I want you also to just tell us about all of the other work that you do outside of live tweeting shows like Game of Thrones. And of course, you're here on the Black Girl Nerds podcast today to talk about House of the Dragons. So number one, thank you for coming on our show today. Well, thank you for having me. You know, I'm a Black Girl Nerd and I so appreciate you and everyone at Black Girl Nerds for creating space for us in every single way. And I'm just so incredibly proud as in like sisterhood proud of everything that you've built and the way in which you continue to create space for us. So thank you so much. I am a massive fan. Um, and I'm so thrilled to be on this podcast. You have no idea because I don't get to talk about this side of myself this much. So uh, I'm I'm really, really thrilled. Um, well, Translash Media is um, an organization that tells trans stories to save trans lives. And we do so through so many different ways because we believe that centering the stories of trans people um, through nonfiction, through nonfiction narrative, um, and specifically those of trans people of color and Black trans women in particular, 
is the way to lower the ignorance that fuels a lot of the hostility that leads to our death. And so we do that through so many different ways. You mentioned um, the podcast. We have the Translash podcast. We have another limited series investigative podcast called um, The Anti-Trans Hate Machine, A Plot Against Equality, uh, which is now award-winning. We do so through films. Um, short films and short docs. We do so through a zine, through a written platform that we have called News and Narrative. And we do so through social and digital media and a zine. So kind of in every way that we can think to be creative and to tell our stories that um, center our ability to live and to thrive, uh, that's what we do at Translash. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So please, those of you listening, if you have not heard Translash Media and the podcast specifically, go ahead and take a listen to what Amara and her team is doing over there, doing amazing things and visibility is so important. Um, so we're going to be talking about House of the Dragon, which is going to be premiering very, very soon on HBO, HBO Max, where you can stream it. And I'm so excited to dive into this discussion. So number one, Amara, have you read Fire and Blood, which is the book that is the series is based on? Yes. I have not reread it in a long time, <clears throat> but yes, I have. Okay. Look, you're hardcore. All right. All right. See, I have not read Fire and Blood. I was planning on reading it. And then I was looking at some of the reviews on Audible because I, I have to do Audible. I did Audible for all of the other A Song of Ice and Fire books because those books are way too dense for me. Mm. So, <laughs> but then when I was looking at some of the reviews, and maybe you can um, clarify this for me, they were saying that it's more of just like a historical analysis as opposed mm. to a story-driven text. Is that accurate? Or what What did you get out of reading Fire and Blood? So I, in general, this is going to be heresy. I don't find him the best writer. Oh, um, he's not a great writer. And I'm so sorry. Um, what R.R. Martin is fantastic at is world building. Yeah. Is um, character imagination, uh, story, a master of story, but not an, a master of words. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. so many of the books I actually find myself skimming and that was that. And I scam until the point where I find something that's like super engaging and then I stop and I read it, but I have to scam. I, I don't, cause I don't, I believe in the written word so much. Um, it's been so much, it is so much a part of my life. Um, I started out my career in journalism writing. And so when I find someone not being able to do that in the way that I find compelling, I just don't have a lot of patience. So yeah, and it's just, um, I find, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on about that. But, and that's actually what made, oh God, I can't remember their names right now because I scrubbed it because of season eight. But, you know, that's why the previous showrunners really powerful is that they were great editors. So they actually took a lot of the story and edited it really well because of what I said and took the best parts, the best quotes, the best um, pieces of it. And then, you know, we're able to world build out of that. And that's why when they ran out of source material, they, that weren't, they weren't that great um, because their strength wasn't, wasn't editing. Right. David Benioff and D.B. Weiss were the runners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And and that's why I choose audio because Mm. Roy Dottress, who is notably known for narrating the the books, is just so good at it and um, just brings the story to life. And I was just able to capture a lot of information that way, whether it was on my commute to wherever I needed to go, um, or if I just want to relax in my bedroom and put in my headphones and listen in. Uh, that worked better for me than to just read this book with, you know, where he takes like 20 pages to describe a wall or something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but yeah, I feel you. I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant on fire and blood because a couple of people I've talked to as well, that's read the books were like, you really don't need or read the book. They were like, you don't really re- need to read the book in order to prep for house of the dragon. So I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. Yeah, and they're also stretching out the story, it seems like, because I, I keep thinking, oh, it's going to be the whole book in one season. And then recently I was like, oh, I came across something and they were like, oh, season one. And I was like, oh, yeah. So we don't even really know where they're going to get in the first season. Do you understand what I mean? Like, right. I don't know if you know what the premise is, but like, where are we going to get in this epic civil war you know are we just we're gonna it's gonna be 10 episodes and then we get to the end and it's just the beginning of the civil war you know what i mean like i don't even know if we know where we're going to end up and so i don't think so and i think you know um yeah i think that i think that that's right now have you watched the first episode yet i have not i am not amongst the privileged few who've received, <laughs> you know, sealed copies under threat of pain of death to reveal them like the other person that I'm talking to you on right now. So yeah. no, I haven't. I've just um, seen, of course, every single trailer. Um, and um, yeah, I've just seen every single trailer in the world and every, of course, single analysis of every single trailer in the world. <laughs> That's on YouTube. I that's that's one of the things I do at night to unwind. That's kind of my secrets is that I do YouTube deep dives on this kind of thing. I absolutely love YouTube for that. Like YouTube is the best place to look at like explainer videos, deep mm-hmm. dives, and especially with the Song of Ice and Fire fandom. Like if you ever want to look at a deep dive into either one of the houses or mm-hmm. Westeros, like there's some really great, I think it's Alt Plus X is one of the channels that I followed. Some really great content that just goes deep into it that goes far beyond what we saw on the HBO series. And I'm just like, Oh wow, this is is fascinating. So yeah. YouTube is great for that. Yeah. I, I saw the first episode. Obviously I, you know, I I can't say anything because HBO will come after me. uh, (laughs) I will say it starts off very strong. It starts off very strong and people are going to be excited for this setup of of the season um and i have not read fire and blood so you know everything that i will experience watching house of the dragon will be a complete surprise so i'm i'm excited so far so we'll we'll see how that goes i think that they had to you know they spent 
a lot of time having to recapture the fan base because yeah. even I, the moment that I heard that they were going to do this series, I had to really think about whether or not I was going to invest another decade. You know, I invested a decade of our lives in that other show and, you know, invested, invested a tremendous amount of time only to have our hearts crushed by it being so botched so carelessly in the last season. And so I was like, oh God, am I really going to, you know, do this again. And so they had to spend a lot of energy in recapturing us. I mean, if we think about a lot of the energy that they put into kind of the animated explainers that they've been doing over the last couple of years with talent from Game of Thrones, having to pay all those people, if we look at the marketing and just all of the rest of it. And so I think, you know, they've had to woo us back and they couldn't start this season with anything other than something out of the park. Because if not, I think it would have confirmed people's fears and it would have left us being like, no, nah, I'm good. So to hear you say that, I think is really reassuring. And it is also smart because if they didn't do that, we weren't gonna, we weren't gonna sit in our seats like last time. Exactly. And I, I have a little comfort in knowing that George R.R. R. Martin is happy with it because I was at Hall H at Comic-Con when they did the House of the Dragon panel. And he had mentioned that he's seen all nine episodes of this first season and he's very pleased with it. I mean, of course, he should be. He's the executive producer on the show, but he also wasn't very present and very vocal during that last season of game of thrones mm -hmm. there he wasn't really involved in the in the press um it wasn't until like after the season was over and then he gave his comments about it so that confirms to me that you know okay he's put his stamp on it he's happy with it as opposed to him sort of being a little bit of a recluse and not really saying much because he probably thought oh, okay yeah this is kind of going sideways so i i feel some mm -hmm. comfort in knowing that the show is going to go in the right direction. Yeah, I, I can never forgive them for that last <laughs> season. I, I, I still, I have such rage over it. I can't, I cannot, I can't get over it. It's And it's painful because we came to love those characters, right? And um, to have them just so summarily and cartoonishly disposed of and yeah. like what they did to Tyrion like what they made Tyrion into this fool <laughs> like he's the, he was I the mean, smartest character on the show and then they dumbed him down in that last season it was so disappointing I mean what didn't they do they took um they took um you know Brienne of Tarth and then turned her into a dejected, sentimental teenager standing yes. out in the courtyard in a house coat crying for Jamie. I was like, this ain't right. And then the other thing that was, of course, madness is that they took Arya, who was a trained assassin, probably the most deadly people in Westeros by the time she reached the height of her talents. And then at the end of the show, turned her into Ferdinand Magellan. She decided she was going to sail around the world and discover new stuff. And I was like, 
Well, that's crazy too. There's no way that she would leave her sister to rule a kingdom as a, the only woman ruler in that part of the world and not have her back. Like there were just so many things that just didn't make sense. I was, I just, I don't know, Lord. I know. What a hot mess. It, it just is. <laughs> and the fact that I can still get worked up about it, it tells you something. I mean, we, we all get worked up about it just because we were so, like you said, we were invested for so mm-hmm. long, all, you know, almost a decade. Um, and it, for them to just squander that, uh, it was, it was so, so disappointing. So I, I completely empathize with your, with your anger. Can I just say one more thing about that, which is yeah. that, like, what was the most insulting thing to me that they told us is that we all are just mad that you didn't get the ending that you wanted and the characters turned out to not be who you wanted them to be. And I wanted to throw a brick at my television, but I didn't because I'd have to pay for a new one <laughs> because because. Everyone knows that if you are watching Game of Thrones because of a sentimental attachment to a character, then it's the wrong show. We all know that the people that we love would die, that they could disappear at a moment, that terrible things could happen in an instant. So that's not why we were upset. And to say that to us is really insulting to us as an audience. What we are saying is that you guys were shit storytellers. That's what we're saying. And that's what you can't deal with, right? And it's not because of our sentiment mentality you think that a game of thrones audience is sentimental uh it, that 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 sent me over Oof. yeah i mean it's okay to just end the show at a point where the books doesn't align with the the show time you know mm-hmm. the, the actual production of the show it's okay to do that because obviously that's where things went wrong was when the show went past what uh, George R. R. Martin actually had written on the page, the and yeah, yeah, the source material. And once they took that left turn, they they went far left. <laughs> they they the took off course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I I wanted to ask you this question because um yeah. I think that this is very interesting, and I would love your perspective as someone who's trans, as someone mm-hmm. who's involved in the LGBTQ community. We have Emma DRC who is non-binary, Emma DRC, they have been very, you know, vocal about how um, Rhaenyra's, is that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rhaenyra's, um, how they play with gender in the show, how, you know, Rhaenyra's character is um, placed with gender. So I just wanted to know, what did you, what do you think about Emma DRC's casting, first of all? And um, what do you think about, you know, this character as we uh, see Queen Rhaenyra's growth throughout the series. I thought this was so brilliant because what I thought was really brilliant is the way that personal conflicts, like internal conflicts in a world where people have power do actually get externalized and become larger conflicts amongst people or elsewhere. And they can be played upon in that way. And I think that what Emma said about the way that they're playing um, uh, Princess Rhaenyra's is that this is a person who's not quite comfortable in the role of woman and girl as is to be prescribed for woman and girl in this time. But that's not something that sits right in 
her character's soul or in I'm now I'm converting I'm convert I'm, I'm converging Rhaenyra's and Emma so that's not something that sits right in their character's soul who is a her and so um I think that what I um love about that is that that fundamental discomfort one gives a totally sheds light on ways that you on this conflict and what a lot of people feel about conflict and gender that you would not have necessarily gotten if you hadn't chose a non-binary person to play that role is one thing and then um secondly it then provides the source material for Renaris to be kind of encouraged and preyed upon to be like, you don't have to accept this, right? Mm -hmm. You have a claim on this thing. You don't have to be limited in the way that they're telling that you can be limited, that they're telling you have to be limited. And this is your way out of that. Um, And I think that if you did not have a non-binary actor playing that, that that fundamental um, tension would not have been brought to light in the same way. And I think that it is brilliant and totally exciting. Um, and it's why, you know, I think that we should have more people who are gender variant across the board play these roles because there will be truths that are unearthed uh, in the character that we would normally get unless they were a thrust into those positions. So I'm, I, it is one of the things that I am most interested to see play out. And I am wondering how Emma is going to bring that out in, in their character. Absolutely. That, that is such a great point. And may I just add to that um, with respect to that character, uh, what's being written on the page is also being re- reflected in the writer's room and the the diversity that's happening with House of the Dragon, um, because we actually had a chance on the red carpet to speak to one of the writers. And she's also an executive producer. Um, her name is Charmaine DeGrate. I hope I'm mm. saying her last name right. But number one, she's a Black woman. Um, holla at you girl, a Black woman that is a executive produ- co-executive producer and writer on House of the Dragon. And she mentioned to us that, you know, th- that there is more inclusion and there's going to be more representation of women. And uh, uh, I keep saying Queen Princess Rhaenyra, she is a very prominent figure in this series. And, 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 it, and gender actually is... Uh, a huge plot point <laughs> in this, in this series. So it's yeah. interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, you know, like in the way that this is going to play out, like what is, what is, what can make you be willing to take on your family? Right. Cause we know that this is going to be a civil war. Everyone should know that even from the trailers, you can tell it's going to be a civil war. Yeah. So it's going to be a civil war. And, you know, what would make you, what would sp- spur you to be willing to take your entire family to the brink and to risk destruction. And sometimes what can be that is the desire and the need to resolve kind of these individual questions that are greater than you, right? And so these people telling you that you're limited and growing up and telling you that you're limited and you have to be this and you cannot be that. 
um, that limitation, if you decide to push against it, there aren't going to be any limits once you decide to turn against that. Um, and I think that that's just, it's going to be so, so fascinating to see this, this civil conflict play out driven by these very personal questions that everyone's going to be wrestling with throughout this series. But um, in this case that we're talking about when it comes to gender. And then there's also a race. We see Lord Corla's Valeron um, mm-hmm. played by um, Stanley Toussaint. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, Is it Stevens Toussaint? Yeah. Some yes, Toussaint. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Steve Toussaint. Um, so uh also known as the sneak the sea snake. And he's a man of of wealth. He he he's actually one of the wealthiest men in Westeros and mm-hmm. uh self-made, in fact. And I, I find this fascinating. I wanted to ask you now, was mm-hmm. his character black in the book in Fire yeah. and Blood? No, no. Okay. He was race bent for the show. Mm -hmm. Well, what I've come to discover is that R.R. Martin originally had first conceived of the House of Valerian to be black or, um, and for the books and then for whatever reason chose not to write them that way. And so then shared that with the showrunners and they were like, well, why can't we do that now? And he was like, let's do it. We should do it. And so it's actually the fulfillment of the original concept that he had for this house that he didn't, he chose not to express um, in the book. So it's even more fascinating. Like this oh, is wow. what he always wanted to do. Oh, that is fascinating. Okay. Well, that's good to know that context because you know that you you've got those folks out that, there that are like, oh, they're trying to be woke and you know all of this stuff for the sake of diversity. But this is what George R. R. Martin mm-hmm. wanted when he first conceptualized this this character. So that's right. I did not I did not know that. Yeah, I, I'm very curious to see how, what his role and how that plays out in the dynamic of um, all of these different houses and you know how that evolves throughout the season as well. So it'll be interesting. And we, we see this interracial relationship between yeah. uh, his character and princess Reina's played by Eve best. Um, and uh, that that's interesting to see sort of that dynamic. And then, and they have kids together and, mm-hmm. you know, mix, mix kids in the, in the Westeros. So we're, we're seeing these new um we're really seeing a completely new diverse landscape in House of the Dragon, which is very refreshing. Yeah, you know, I, I several things spring to mind about this. I mean, I think to see a dark-skinned Black man, although you don't have blonde hair, but a dark-skinned Black man mm-hmm. be... You can actually argue that they're the wealthiest family outside yeah. of the royal family in Westeros, right? Like, they're wealthier than the Lannisters. Um, yes. They actually preceded um, the Targaryens to um, to Westeros, if my memory is serving, arriving short, arriving before, I believe. Um, you know, their island is near Dragonstone, like their, their house seat is near Dragonstone. So there are all these ways in which like they are 
a major, major player in Westeros and they are a black family and they are led by a dark skinned black man and the offspring are black, even though the wife is white with platinum hair and how just how intertwined they are with power, I think is going to be a really interesting thing to see because we didn't see that last time. We didn't see blackness portrayed in that way. um, Right. uh, you know, and we didn't see dark-skinned black people portrayed that way. Let's just be clear um, yes. about it. And so we're going to get a different take. And you know, I think that not only is it a fulfillment of his original idea, and secondly, we're going to we're going to be able to see things about power that we would never have seen before when we see it through a black lens um in this world and we'll see the tensions and the splits in a different way because in in a way they will be racialized um even if inadvertently but the third thing that i think about is that i've been reading this book called afro-europeans and it's about the way in which um people of African descent were deliberately erased from European history. So for example, there were two late Roman emperors who were black. Um, who were erased from history? They were deracialized. Um, the leader of the um, of the de Medici family, kind of the wealthiest family um, in Europe during the Middle Ages, for a while was led by a biracial man. Who, when you see his photos, looks I'm not I'm sorry, photos, pictures, um, and paintings of him is clearly black. Alessandro de, um, de Medici, who was the first um, Duke of uh, Duke of Florence, I believe, um, uh, uh, was a leader of that family. And other prominent people during the Middle Ages um, who were erased. So when people say that the pure concepts of medieval fantasy is whiteness, that's only because people of African descent who had roles in Europe in ancient times and in medieval times who were powerful and who were power players have been erased. And so this is actually in fantasy, a a restoration of something that had been taken out. So for all those reasons, I think that the inclusion of this family, this dark-skinned Black family, is so exciting. It's so exciting. There, there's a Tumblr blog out there. I'm probably getting it wrong, but I think it's called the Medieval People of Tumblr. Uh, mm-hmm. med- medieval People of Color of, of Tumblr. And I always like perusing through that that blog because it, I'm my mind and my third eye is open to all of these images and paintings and statues of black people and people of color during medieval times. And I'm just like, and it makes me mad too, because it's like, why wasn't this taught to me in school? Like what, why is this information that's out there that was never given to me in the form of, of an education? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, yeah, like you said, it, it, there's so much erasure that happens there to the point where, yeah, we we just think that medieval equals white when that's far from the case. Um, right. More, and more of those stories need to be told, though, right? That's <laughs> right. And how deliberate it was, like the idea of whiteness, like whiteness itself only exists because you erase blackness. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, like, they have to create this pure European history without the presence of Black people in order to have an idea of 
whiteness overall and for whiteness to be superior because if you know white people think roman civilization is the height of their civilization but if, if there was a black roman emperor what does that mean and the same thing with this powerful medieval family and i think this points to for all of us right the power of um fantasy is that fantasy even sometimes actors deride fantasy as, oh, this is, you know, is taking over. But what it's actually doing is helping us to have these tools of reimagination to actually capture truths that have been erased from so-called um, uh, reality, right? The fact that we'll be able to see this family in fantasy when there were families like this in reality, they were just erased. Or, you know, I think about the power of what Miss Marvel did in terms of restoring and presenting to people the reality of partition and erased histories in South Asia. And so, you know, these reason why I think we are in, in investing in fantasy right now is because it is helping us capture these fundamental truths truths about ourselves that we need in order to help um, reimagine and rebuild our societies, these fundamental truths that were stolen from us. Because the fact that you didn't learn about any of that in school, that I didn't learn about any of that in school was deliberate. Absolutely. It, yeah, it, it was. And if you keep them ignorant, then that's a, another form of, of supremacy, of white supremacy. That's right. So how do you think fans will receive this show, House of the Dragon, compared to Game of Thrones? Because, of course, there's going to be comparisons made. <laughs> um, but what, what do you think uh, people will, what their feedback is going to be after the show premieres? You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the way in which this book and its subject matter is even more relevant than um, when it was written, because I think that people feel in many ways that, especially the United States at this moment, is on a powder keg, like sitting on a powder keg. Mm -hmm. And this idea of conflict and of civil conflict and of people of the same family and same land turning on each other is not something that is sadly unimaginable for our country right now. Right. Mm. Um, you know, we got a taste of it with January 6th. Like this is this is not something that is um off in the distance. This could be something that we experience in our lifetimes. And I think that that's going to be deeply resonant for people, even if they cannot express it in ways um that um are going to be top of mind. I think that just like you know, Game of Thrones, essentially, you know, his idea is the destruction of the fairy tale, right? And this, 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 this destruction of traditional ideas so that new things can come up and be created. This very much is going to be even more so in the show about the destruction of, of allegiances and the destruction of, um, you know, this common vision that this family has for itself. And I think that it's going to be really powerful. And I think the fact that we are going to have gender centered, the fact that we're going to have race centered, the fact that, you know, it, it's going to center around the dissolution of the power of this old white man um, uh, who came to power through conquering. I think in all of these ways, I think this show is going to be deeply relevant. And I think when we add in the superpower of dragons, which, you know, in Game of Thrones were kind of marginal, right? right. You know, it's like, 
um, what um, Lord Tywin said when they mentioned dragons. And he was like, he's like, dragons haven't won a war in 300 years, but armies win them every day. <laughs> you know, like this kind of idea that, yeah, okay, right. And they really didn't come up as power players, you know, until the last two seasons. So I think that with all of this, powder keg of political dynamics and tension and, you know, fraying alliances and questions about where we stand when things fall apart. And you add into that the superpower, the massive destructive power of these dragons. I think this is just going to be an incredible, compelling story that I think um, the early signs are from what you're saying and just what we're seeing in the trailer and everything from R.R. Martin, I think it's going to be incredibly compelling. Yeah, I look forward to the dragons. <laughs> I think it'll be very interesting to just see them do their thing and see on all of the different visual effects and 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 also just seeing those moments where they're just like pets. You know, like I, I've always <laughs> I've always loved those cute moments with the dragons. So um more women riding dragons, which I love. There's so much, of course, lots of different types of ways to interpret that. But I mean, I think that that's just a really powerful thing like these uh, women controlling these you know weapons these live living weapons of mass destruction i think is really yeah. great and one thing though that i am hoping um jamie for real for real is that girl they just spent a little bit more on that cgi on dragons because mm. there were a couple of times during game of thrones i was like <laughs> where did the budget go who's who got the salary increase so that we essentially in this in this like scene almost a bordering on dragon sock puppets i mean <laughs> so i'm just hoping that the cgi is up to stuff because if they are going to be a character they got to be real but honestly you know what i'm talking about like there are right. a couple of times last year where i mean i'm sorry during the last show in game of thrones where you saw the dragons and you kind of went oof. you know what i didn't even realize that but you're on point. Yeah, there there were some times where the CGI was looking a little mm, mm, yeah, a little low budget. Little low mm, budget. Mm, mm-hmm. very, very, very high school animation projects. <laughs> very CW-ish. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and and high school CW-ish, not 2022, like 1999, mm, you know. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they step up the CGI and mm. hopefully they will ban all coffee cups on set because we know what happened with that situation. Do you or remember it, that? How could I, you know, I told you that the rage that I feel for that last season is unending. And for me, those coffee cups were the height of that. We don't give a fuck. And we are all yeah. going to go work on, work on star Wars right now. <laughs> you know, <with> that, <laughs> that was, that was, the, that's what they thought until Disney saw what they did to that last season. And they were like, no, we're not putting y'all in charge of nothing. But, <laughs> like, never mind, contract cancel. But like, not only did the coffee cup appear on set, right? Not only did the person whose job it was on set to spot that type of thing, not see that not only um and 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 the person whose job it was in post to recognize right. that 
right. didn't recognize it. And what that said to me in every single way is that everybody in that show in the last season was phoning it in. You know, they didn't really care. They were out the door. They were on to their next thing. And they just were not paying attention. And not only did the coffee cup appear once, but twice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in two different episodes. So they just were literally, I mean, they just phoned it in. The writer's room, they phoned. I, they were just phoning that last season in. I mean, they were like, give me my check. I'm going to work half the hours and I'm on to my next projects. It almost makes me wonder what, like, did they actually really know that there was a coffee cup there? And they were like, we're just going to keep it in there because we don't care about this anymore. And if it's out there, then, oh, well, like... I think that they just didn't care. And I think that like, I think that if you think about the quality that you saw in previous seasons and like how meticulous and rigorous they were about everything and just the degree to which in so many ways that last season didn't reflect that, I think, of course, you would end up with a coffee cup because just people just weren't caring. They just didn't care. True, true. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll take my conspiratorial mind and take my tinfoil hat off about, you know, there being like some intentional sabotage on set. Um, so have you decided on a favorite character yet? You know, I really excuse me, I am particularly interested in uh Rhaenerys. I want to see, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, I think. I think I could see myself gravitating towards her because I think uh, there'll just a lot, be a lot of things resonant in how I felt growing up with my family and, you know, all the rest of it. So I think that I'm going to be really drawn to her. Um, Lord Valerian, I'm going to see, I'm really interested in um, uh, his kids um, as a possible um, way of of me being drawn in. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I could see Princess Rhaenerys because this idea that, you know, um, these rules, you know, I, no, 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 ma'am, sir. And the other thing that I think is, you know, um, just this idea that like, you know, the Targaryens got the throne by breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. So on some level, it's in, it's a part of them. People are like, oh, they're mad, but it's not really that they're mad. It's that they're like risk takers and they're willing to defy convention at really important times, which is how they climbed and got to be to where they were, how they survived the doom and how they made it to Westeros and how they conquered Westeros. So I think that that's, you know, I'm interested to see how that plays out, particularly again in in um, in her. Um, so I think as I talk it out more and more and more, I think it's really going to center on her. How about you? You saw it. Yeah, I mean, uh, so far I'm loving Rhaenyra's. It's really early for me to even say if I have a favorite yet. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm enjoying Patty Considine. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Uh, King Viserys. I, I'm really mm. enjoying that character, and uh, I love the complexity that they've set up for his character. And I don't know how fully embellished he is in Fire and Blood, but uh, there there's this huge inner conflict that we see with him in episode one. And um, I'm curious to see how that's going to evolve throughout the season, but he's, he's very compelling. So, so far from, you know, watching that first episode, he's, he's one of the most compelling characters I've, I've noticed 
Um, and uh, that's all I'm going to say. I, I feel like I want to say more, but I, I can't. Um, but yeah, so. Because HBO is going to come knocking on your door. I know. I know. It's like I'm. So you can't so say it anymore. I can't say anymore. But uh, it it definitely. I'm, I, I really love the direction where we we're getting right into it. There's no like, okay, you know, wake me up when it's over story building, like a whole bunch of exposition and all of that, you know, that some shows do first yeah. two episodes in where, you know, it's like a bit of a snooze fest and then it gets good. No, it, it it's, it's good at the very, at the very start. So yeah. Because they also know that the audience knows this world, right? Like, even if you don't know the particulars of this story, you know the world. So there's not a whole lot of, we kind of get what the rules are. And so there's no, you don't, you don't have to do a lot of, you shouldn't, like, as a disciplined storyteller, right? You shouldn't spend a lot of time uh, in this show doing that. You should just get right to it. So again, the fact that you're saying that that's what happened, I mean, it really feels like they knew kind of what they had to do in order to get us to stay in our seats and did it. And that's, I mean, the fact that like you've seen so many different um, shows and films and the fact that you're saying that I think should give kind of me and all other listeners like a lot of confidence in what we're about to experience yeah i mean i'm excited for you guys to see it i I remember seeing the first couple of episodes of game of thrones and it it was a little bit of a slow burn um so house of the dragon they're like you know what we're gonna go ahead and burn this up a little bit hotter <laughs> and, and make this a lot quicker for you guys. And um, I'm, I'm glad that they did that. Cause I don't know, maybe because of there's so many shows out there, there's so much competition. You could stream almost anything anywhere that, uh, that you really got to reel people in quickly. Otherwise you'll, you'll lose them a lot faster, at least in, in this age now of, of watching television than it was a decade or so ago when game of Thrones thrones first started so so yeah yeah Yeah. and we're just and we like again we're we're so spurned from the last one that any hint that that's where it was going we were going to be like you know we were going to be like golly you know like that meme and just turn it off like and so i think that they knew that they couldn't excuse me they couldn't do that so yeah i'm really really happy i mean it's it's so exciting and i love i mean for me what i love about this world is its boldness and its thoroughness and it's a willingness to be unafraid. Um, and so I'm just hoping that we just get that more and more. And all the things that we've spoken about, race and gender identity and all these other things, the fact that they've been folded into the show, it seems like we're in for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Now, are you going to be live tweeting this show? Well, um, after being on this, I have to be, yes, I, but I will anyway. Um, and I will definitely be live tweeting this. I've already told my watch partners that they better be, I know it's the summertime. I don't care. Um, you better be, you know, where you need to be when this show starts. Um, because I'm also going to be yelling at them and, yelling in twitter verse as well so um yeah yeah i feel sorry for them because they're gonna have to 
look at my tweets and, and hear me. <laughs> I know, right? I, sometimes I feel sorry for people that like follow our account on Twitter and then they just see like all of these tweets about a show and especially, you know, as back when we were live tweeting a ton of different shows and the shows wouldn't play, what is the word? Asynchronously, is that the word? Where they would play like at the same time. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah, people on the West Coast would see our tweets on the East because I'm on the East Coast. So they'd see our tweets on the East Coast and they'd be like, you're spoiling the show. And I'm like, I'm sorry, just mute me or temporarily unfollow me or something because uh, we're doing this. We are live tweeting it. Um, but yeah, Black Girl Nerds will be live tweeting House of the Dragon when the show premieres. And uh, we're going to use the hashtag dragons, y'all. Dragons, y'all. Mm. Wait, with an apostrophe? Or no apostrophe. No apostrophe, because I don't. Okay, think, cool. Yeah, I don't think you can use apostrophes with the hashtags. I don't. Oh yeah, that's right. It mutes it out. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Dragons, y'all. Hashtag. Hashtag dragons, y'all. I can't wait. I can't wait. So I can't either. And I don't have any sympathy for people who are like, "You're ruining my thing." It's kind of like, you know, with Game of Thrones. It's like, I'm sorry, we are in year six. You know exactly what time this comes on. You know when it comes on. And so if you are scrolling through your timeline at this time, it's not like you don't know what you're going to see. Exactly. Exactly. So don't you don't be yelling at me. And then people would be like, say the same thing. They were like spoilers. I was like, again, you know what time it is. You, you know, know what time it is. And if you get off of Twitter, like don't be yeah. on Twitter if you don't nope. want to see the spoilers because nope. that's, that's the culture that we're in people exactly like live tweet shows so yep. that that is what it is now and i think now twitter is a little bit more sophisticated where you can just like mute hashtags and mute words or whatever where you don't even see that on your timeline now so that's good yeah yeah so i yeah i just you know whatever and then if i don't need to do that and whatever you're doing, you thought was more important than watching this show anyway. So you need to be doing that. You don't need to be paying attention to Twitter. Focus on what's exactly. in front of you. Exactly. But I think if I'm not mistaken, I think this will show both on the East Coast and the West Coast at the same time. I could, Is it? I think so. But may, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll get the folks. Ooh, well, you know what? I, I will find out when I live tweet. How about that? When people start complaining, you're spoiling the show. Maybe they're going to be upset. Oh, well, going to be upset then. Well, Amara, listen, I enjoyed speaking with you. This was such a pleasure. I really love the work that you're doing over at Translash Media. Thank Is there you. anything that our listeners need to know? Any new projects that you're working on? Or I know that you do a lot of events. You're always traveling. Mm-hmm. So keep us, um, let us know what, what, where do we need to find you and, and where can we follow you? You can follow Translash Media at Translash Media across the board. Me personally on IG, you can follow me at Amara underscore Jones underscore. Don't ask. And on, on Twitter and Facebook, you can find me at Amara Jones. And um, one of the things that we're going to be really continuing to focus on is body autonomy, the issue of body autonomy for everyone. Um, and, um, you know, the intersection of reproductive 
rights and abortion and um, trans issues uh, centered around the fact that our bodies are our first sites of freedom. So we're going to be doing a lot around that um, in September. So make sure that you, um, you know, look out for that. Um, it's called Trans Bodies, Trans Choices, that campaign. And, you know, go and catch up on the Trans Slash podcast. If you haven't heard um, or listened to it, we have had amazing guests this year. Um, uh, Janelle Monet was on just recently and so many oh. other great people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Janelle Monet, I'm sorry, I said Janelle Monet, T.S. Madison, and just so many great people on our on our podcast talking about all the things um, that uh, matter. So check us out there. Um, and one of the great things about you know, trans people and black trans people is the way in which we reimagine the world. And so for people who like to do that as a part of fantasy, engaging in our content helps you be able to do that uh, in reality as well. So yeah, check us out. Awesome. Thank you, Amara. I appreciate you coming on the Black Girl Learns podcast. And don't be afraid to come back. Listen, listen, you, you're you going to have to be pushing me away to me like, um, no, we just had you on. Um, maybe <laughs> we'll call us back like maybe next year. I don't know. So, yeah, no, thank you so much. I'd be happy to come back on anytime, of course. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host along with Angelica, who is back. Hey, Angelica. Hey, glad to be back. <laughs> and Angelica's back because we are talking about one of her favorite fandoms. This new show that you might have heard about that's coming back on HBO. Well, it's a new show, but it's a fandom that is coming back. It's House of the Dragon that is part of the A Song of Ice and Fire fandom Game of Thrones prequel, which we're really excited to talk about. And we actually have a special guest on our show that is launching an official Game of Thrones podcast, House of the Dragon, Greta Johnson. She is the co-host of HBO Max's recently announced official Game of Thrones podcast, Houses of the Dragon, House of the Dragon, launching on August 3rd. She also hosts WBEZ Chicago's Nerdette podcast, an interview show that helps listeners unwind from the week while doubling down on delight. Some of her favorite guests include Lizzo, Issa Rae, and Bat Shiva Marcus, an Orthodox Jewish sex therapist. In addition, Greta curates the Nerdette Book Club and is a recovering Game of Thrones recapper. In her free time, she likes to read, knit, hang out with her corgi, and strike up conversations with strangers. Greta, thanks for coming on our show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jamie and Angelica. I'm super excited to chat with you. First of all, impressive guests, Lizzo, Issa Rae, <laughs> hello. <laughs> I know, right? I feel like in both of those situations, it was like, it's too late now. You know what I mean? Like, I got them at just the right time before their careers just like completely, you know, it was before the top of the roller coaster. <laughs> I completely empathize with that. I did an interview with Issa Rae back when she did this web series called The Misadventures yes. of Awkward Black Girl. Amazing. And it was like a phone interview. And I haven't been able to touch her with a 10 foot pole yeah, after that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With me, it was she did she did like a premiere, a showing of the first episode of Insecure in Chicago. 
And so I got to talk to her when she was here for that. And it was like, I got to go to the screening too. And it was just such a great room. It was really fun. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I was going to say, while we're fangirling over Isa, I, mm-hmm. I got to share the same Zoom space with her once. <laughs> <laughs> we had a, her, one of her artists, uh, Timor, had a listening party. And so they invited me. And so I got to see her face and hear her talk, didn't interact, but still awesome. So that's really we, cool. <laughs> She's the best. Yes. Well, we've all been connected to Issa Rae. So that's <laughs> awesome. Um, but, you know, well, speaking of Issa Rae, she's connected in a way to this because she's a part of the HBO family. And mm-hmm. we're talking about a HBO show called House of the Dragon, which is very highly anticipated for all of us Game of Thrones fans out there. So I, I want to know your origin story. Every story has its <laughs> own <laughs> origins. <laughs> so how did you come into the A Song of Ice and Fire fandom? How did you get into this fantasy series in the first place, Greta? Mm-hmm. That is a great question. So I read several of the books probably like 15, at least, yeah, probably like 15 years ago I read them just because, you know, I've always been a big reader when I was in fourth grade, I even wrote like a I started writing a book about a girl who finds a dragon egg in the attic of her house. So like, you know, I've always been into this stuff. Um, and and yeah, I like to say that I started graduate school right when I started book four of the Game of Thrones series and I finished graduate school. I did not finish that book. <laughs> and that's kind of where I dropped off the books. But of course, I was super excited about the show coming out. And as you mentioned in my bio, um, I actually so I host a podcast called Nerdat, which has been around for almost 10 years now, which is insane. But we thank you. We also had a spinoff show uh, called Nerdat Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal, where perhaps unsurprisingly, we recapped Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. We started with season five of Thrones and recapped it through the bitter end. Wow. So you're an old school fan. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Books, man. Gotta love the books. How did you first get into Game of Thrones, Angelica? Did you start with the books or the show? I started with the show. Um, and it was like, at the time, I had um, Xfinity, and they were doing, I, I now I'm with Verizon, no offense. Uh, but I think <laughs> it's cheaper. Um, at the time, they were doing, uh, they used to have like a watch-a-thon week. And I just happened to be on demand, and I saw that, Game of Thrones was included in that. And I think at the time I didn't have HBO. So for that week you could watch um, HBO. So I was like, oh, that looks interesting. And I think I had heard about Game of Thrones. Like I had seen Daenerys and I'm like, okay, let me get into it. And I was like pregnant at the time and just bored. So I watched (laughs) the first episode and it was just, I was in. And then um, once I watched, like, I think at the time it was only the first two seasons were out. So I kind of joined fandom a little late in the game. So I binged the first two seasons and just in time for the third. And then I was like, I want to read the book. So then I ran through all the books in like, I don't know, a couple months and Hmm. been waiting for the latest. Well, yeah. Ever since. (laughs) (laughs) So Angelica, would you consider yourself normally like a fantasy fan? Yeah, I my okay. dad took me to see all the Lord of the Rings uh, movies awesome. when I was a kid. I have The Hobbit, it's one of my favorites. I'm into like C.S. Lewis. So like I've always been into fantasy for whatever reason. I just did not jump on the Game of Thrones uh, train in time. So like experience it at the time that it was first happening. But I, 
I'm definitely like a huge super fan now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know way too much about the whole world um, and its <laughs> backstory. So definitely glad I joined when I did. That's awesome. I partly why I asked is just because I think it's so fascinating. Like part of what makes Game of Thrones so interesting to me is that it kind of blew open the genre for people, right? Like it became such a phenomenon in and of itself and people were happy to go along for the ride even if they were, you know, would not have identified as people who liked fantasy as a genre before that show came out. Absolutely. Definitely. And I guess while we're asking about origin stories, how did you get into it, Jamie? Well, you know, it was because of the show. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely got hooked onto the show. My friend, my best friend actually called me up and was like, you need to check out this show called Game of Thrones. And <laughs> my friend, we always talk about like TV shows and like just fandom culture and things that would be of entertaining or things that would be entertaining. So she was just like, check it out. You know, let me know what you think. And I I think it was like already in season three at that point. Mm-hmm. So I binged all of season one in like one sitting and binged <laughs> season two. And I was like, oh, this is good. And then it was so good that I just started reading the books. And I was just like, this, this is some amazing stuff. Um, and I, I had to do the, when I say reading the books, I didn't like read, read the books. I did audio. Oh, cool. <laughs> that counts. That counts. That yeah. Totally yeah. Counts. It, they, they, they're a little too dense for me. I, I got to admit, they're a little too dense for me to actually sit and turn the pages. So, you know, on my journey, <laughs> you mean to- like literally dense, <laughs> literally <laughs> dense. Yeah. So like when I'm driving to work or on the commute, I would just, you know, plug in the earbuds and, mm-hmm. and listen to it. And, um, so yeah, that that's how I got into Game of Thrones. I mean, Roy Dotrice is like yes! the pinnacle of narrators. So yes. I yeah, I cannot think of yeah, he's the perfect narrator. So yeah, his voice. I, I can't imagine anyone's voice but his. That's awesome. I haven't tried that series in audio form, but I love audiobooks. I listen to a lot of them. So that's fun. Yeah, it's it's very entertaining. You definitely should give it a try when you get some extra time. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the the characters really come to life in audio form. Oh, that's so cool. So now your podcast will not only have some really cool celebrity guests that are fans of the show, but you're going to have Mr. George R.R. Martin himself appear on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what kind of discussions will listeners expect to hear from what he has to say? That's a great question. So that's actually one of the interviews that Jason got to do on my co-host, Jason Concepcion, when he was at Comic-Con recently. So unfortunately, I didn't get to be a part of that conversation. But I will say on my podcast, Nerdette, I got to interview George, my buddy George back in like October of 2019, which was really cool. Um, and partly what I mean, he's He's such a lovely interview because he is super approachable. He's really smart. And you can tell he just really loves like spending time in this world and talking to people about it. You know, like he's not I feel like sometimes, you know, I mean, you interview people all the time. Like if you interview someone who has just said the same thing 10,000 times, you can tell. And it's not that exciting to listen to. They're not that excited to talk about it. But I feel like with him, there's just like an enthusiasm and excitement around it that's just so charming and fun to listen to. Um, And so I actually haven't heard the one-on-one with George, but I anticipate that it will feel similarly. I did get to watch the panel that Jason did at Comic-Con, 
And I mean, he's just he's just a lovely human. You know, he's a delight. He did a great job. I was there at that panel and mm. he did a fantastic job in asking questions. Um, I I love George's answer. I think mm-hmm. there was one that really sticks out about what would make a great king. Yes, the that, road building thing. Yes. Yeah, the road building thing. Like, yeah. yeah, I've thought about that a lot since then, too. And the badgers thing. I loved that, too. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like, why aren't there more badger sigils? So, yeah, I mean, I think like the thing about Jason. So I have not read Fire and Blood, which is the source text for House of the Dragon. It's, you know, for people who don't know, it's much more of like a historical. I mean, obviously, it's still fiction, but it's more of a historical text than like written as a novel, which I think has a lot of really interesting creative potential for a TV show, but also sounds like kind of a slog to read. Um, so my thought is like, since Jason already has done it, then I will kind of be the stand in for the person who hasn't gotten to read it yet and is kind of experiencing all of these new stories for the first time. But because Jason is like such a super nerd and such a close reader, I have absolute faith that he's asked George a bunch of really insightful, interesting questions about You know what it's like to see. I mean, I just can't imagine what it's like to see something that you have spent so much time with in your brain and could never have anticipated the success of any of it. And then to be where he is now where there's like all these spinoffs and all. I mean, it has to just be like, that's crazy, you know? I just need to know when is he going to finish Winds of Winter? (laughs) You know, Jason said he got really good vibes about that, actually. He thinks George is close. I have... Absolutely no idea. <laughs> I wish we could break that news here today, but I got nothing for you. I oh, know. I think I read somewhere that he mentioned, you know, because there's so much background and kind of like mythos built into Game of Thrones, it was super easy for him to write Fire and Blood because, mm-hmm. like you said, it was a history book versus trying to wrap up all these different storylines. Oh, my God. I'm sure. I mean, he has written himself into a hell of a corner, you know? And then you think about, like, the way the show went. It's sort of like, I don't know. I'm really curious to see if he does end up writing it. I also could totally see the argument that, like, he is living his best life, getting to do stuff like Comic-Con and talking to fans and, you know, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. So do you think at all that the fact that this source material is essentially a history book, um, do you feel like it will be just as entertaining, just as enthralling for the fans to see versus the kind of traditional narrative that was A Song of Ice and Fire? Oh, a thousand percent. If anything, I kind of and granted, you know, not having read the source material, I think it's actually kind of more exciting Partly because, I mean, and Jamie, you can probably speak to this, too, having been at that panel, like to hear Ryan Condal, one of the showrunners, talk about how interesting it is to have source material that doesn't have direct dialogue. That has to be really exciting for him as a creative, as a showrunner, to be able to kind of connect some of those dots and really figure out what the connective tissue is between some of these storylines. And I mean, it's all there, right? Like we're, we're, we don't have to worry about running into a problem where showrunners are like, wait, what do we do next? You know, like it all exists in this book that is in the world already. Absolutely. And I also like the 
diversity of what's going to be happening in the writer's room. We Mm -hmm. actually recently did a red carpet, or I guess it was a black carpet technically, (laughs) um, for the premiere of House of the Dragon. And uh, Giandra had a chance to speak with one of the writers, uh, Charmaine DeGrat, who is a black woman. Uh, which is absolutely amazing. I didn't know that they, first of all, have any black writers in the room mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, black female writers at that. And she's a self-declared black girl nerd. She had mentioned on the carpet. So that was great. Oh, I um, so I, I just love that. And she mentioned too, that, you know, that they are making sure that they are expanding the universe and making sure that it is more inclusive and that women are being, you know, fully represented. And I I just absolutely love that. So um, I I look forward to seeing how this universe looks compared to what we saw in the Game of Thrones universe. For sure. Yeah, I think that word expansion is a really good one. Because yeah, I mean, the cast too is a lot more diverse. I mean, it's not hard to be a lot more diverse than the original series, right? And I don't know. I mean, I don't have to tell y'all like, epic high fantasy like these stories can be hella problematic you know so to to really get to see a diverse array of characters is really exciting you know the fact that you can have a black targaryen i think is great and super important absolutely absolutely um so I, I was there, of course, um, you had mentioned um, about um, George R.R. R. Martin at Comic-Con and mm-hmm. your co-host, Jason Concepcion, who actually moderated the panel. Um, so during the House of the Dragon panel, um, which was great, um, <laughs> I was surprised that there was no mention of uh, the new show Snow, which I think is a working title. Um, mm. But it's the new Jon Snow spinoff. And mm-hmm. although I know it's not directly linked to the series, there's still like some connective tissue between the Starks and the Targaryens. And I just wanted to know, will those conversations be brought up at all on your podcast? That's a really good question. I don't have a great answer for you. I mean, we certainly haven't talked about Snow much. I think partly what's so interesting about House of the Dragon is that it kind of is a whole new entry point for people, right? Like, of course, Game of Thrones fans are probably going to be pretty stoked to come along for this one. But this is a prequel. This is all stuff that happened almost 200 years before Game of Thrones did, which means you don't have to know who Jon Snow is to get into this story. You know, like even the other day when... The Game of Thrones Twitter account announced this podcast. A friend of mine texted me and was like, oh, my God, Greta, congratulations. She was like, do I have to watch all of Game of Thrones now? And I was like, girl, no, like, just start with the new season. You know, like, that's kind of the whole point. You can just watch House of the Dragon. And she was like, but Greta, I didn't understand half of the words in that tweet. And I was like, it's fine. Like, just believe us. You know, like, that's partly why the podcast exists, you know, so. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd certainly be game to talk about other spinoffs. I think part of what makes Game of Thrones so interesting is the fact that it has been such a successful franchise and that, you know, it's kind of hearkened this whole new era for all sorts of different fantasy shows. Um, But, yeah, I think we'll focus more on this show and its creation than than the other stuff, at least for now. Good to know. Okay, cool. I mean, I'm completely open to interviewing Kit Harrington, though, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> I, listen, I'm, I'm open to interviewing okay, him great. as well, preferably <laughs> we'll in person. But uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, oh, go ahead, Angelica. I was going to say, so you know, obviously, 
Harrington Jon Snow was a fan favorite in the series. Um, from what you could have seen so far of this new prequel, mm. who do you think, without any spoilers, will be a fan favorite and why? So full disclosure, I've seen one episode, but that's it so far as of this taping. Um, I also, like, at the risk of sounding creepy, uh, adore Matt Smith. <laughs> I feel like, thank you. I feel like it came up a lot in the episode of our podcast that's coming out next week. So it's like I need to like play it cool because it's a lot. Um, but what I will say, you know, I don't know if either of you watch Doctor Who, but he was such a delightful doctor. And I kind of feel the same way about his career as I do about Chris Evans, who, of course, was Captain America in the Marvel Universe, where like it has to be so much fun for both of them as actors to get to play these more complicated characters, you know, because I think both in the case of the Doctor and Captain America, they're just sort of these like nice guys, you know, which is nice, but it's pretty fun, especially in the case of Matt Smith as Damon Targaryen. Like he's got this swagger that's just really fun to see, you know. Um, but that said, I mean, there are a lot of really fascinating characters and I don't know. I just thought the first episode set up a lot of really fascinating dynamics and you know they like planted some seeds that as a viewer I'm sort of like oh I wonder what's gonna happen there but it was just so much fun I'm really excited for people to see it awesome okay well I'll look out for for Matt Swagger <laughs> oh you'll see it when it drops <laughs> I mean he's looking good in that white wig I, I got I know it. right I, yeah, yeah I'm looking at him a little different now I really am silver does does him good you know <laughs> Who would you say is a more terrible brother, Damon or Viserys? Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, again, only having seen one episode, I think that's really complicated. I will say, uh, as part of the interviews that Jason got to do at, at Comic-Con, he got to talk to both Patty Considine and Matt Smith. Uh, Patty, who plays Viserys, and Matt, who plays Damon. And even just hearing their conversation about their brotherly dynamic, I thought was really interesting. Essentially, in general, I mean, both of those characters really exemplify, I think, what Thrones does really well, which is like nobody's all good. And nobody's all bad. You know, like everybody's complicated and people make mistakes. And especially when the stakes are this high, they can be pretty catastrophic. And, you know, I think part of the pleasure of a show like this is that we're just kind of all along for the ride. Definitely. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, I, I like who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I, I haven't. I'm like what you said earlier about Fire and Blood. I have not read the book, um, mm. so I, I don't know uh, Damon's storyline and how that turns out. So I'm curious to see, like, is he as evil as uh, you know some of his other siblings later on down the bloodline? You know. Mm. Um, <laughs> is that all inherited or what? Or yeah. does he turn out to be more noble? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, I would say at least based on the first episode, it's complicated. But I don't know. Angelica, have you read? You have read Fire and Blood, I, right? I read Fire and Blood and I've read. So without entirely... spoiling anything, please don't spoil it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've okay, read good. Fire and Blood. I've read entirely too many wiki pages about like while I was watching Game of Thrones. And, you know, um, so if you guys pay attention during, especially if you're doing rewatches of Game of Thrones, just to get yourself hyped for House mm -hmm. of the Dragon. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Princess Shireen, who lived on Dragonstone, brought up the Dance of the Dragons, which was the Civil War, which is the series. So, oh, cool. you know, anytime someone kind of throws out a name from the past, then I'll just like, oh, let me go to the wiki page and figure out who this person <laughs> was. So mm-hmm. I know how it ends for Rhaenyra, for Damon, for Aegon. For... So I know how it ends for all of them. And I kind of envy people that haven't read the source material because yeah. you kind of go into it blind yeah. versus me that I know how this goes, how this is going to wrap up. So it's kind of like the experience that I had when I first saw Game of Thrones. I hadn't read the book. So everything was like a shock to me, like the red wedding, shocking, Ned Stark, yes. shocking. Yeah, right. right. I'm not yeah. really shocked. <laughs> well, I mean, who knows? You never know that's when you funny. <laughs> when you yeah, that thing. Right. I kind of had the opposite experience. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I am really excited to just kind of go in fresh and see what. And it's funny you mentioned that because even after watching the pilot, there were a couple things where it was like I couldn't quite catch like the name of Rhaenyra's dragon. And I was like scared to Google it because it's like, oh, God, you know, it's just. Oh, don't, like, <laughs> I, don't Google it. I'm telling you right now. Don't Google okay, the dragon. Angelica, I need your number. And you, I'm just going to text you questions. How does that sound? <laughs> yes. Just, if you don't want to get spoiled, don't look exactly. up with me. Just leave it alone. Just let be surprised. So um, fans are, are, of course, going to draw a lot of parallels between Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. What's your opinion of fans' comparisons of the two? Oh, that's a complicated question. I mean, partly I'm curious, you know, I know a lot of I myself felt pretty burned by the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones like that didn't quite play out the way I had hoped. Um, So I don't know. I know a lot of people who, you know, weren't necessarily thinking about watching House of the Dragon because they were pretty disappointed by how Game of Thrones turned out. Um. I think partly, you know, it was a victim of expectations. Expectations were extremely high. Um, I think I think Thrones fans are going to be pretty happy with this, though, at least based on the one episode I saw. I think it's, you know, it's still the elaborate world. It's still really compelling, complicated characters. And, you know, as we mentioned before, like the cast is more diverse The music is still fucking great. Sorry if I can't curse. You know, like, I think there's a lot to be really excited about. So I think it's at least worth a shot, you know? And I think people are going to be really pleasantly surprised. Question. You kind of brought something up for me. Oh, yeah. So is the opening theme and, like, the intro to the show as good as Game of Thrones? Because the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, that's classic. Yes. You know what's wild is they... And it might just be the screener I got, but there wasn't an intro song, which kind of blew my mind. There was like a title tile. And so maybe that is something that will change in the next, you know, five weeks before the show is out. Like you could check. I would check with HBO before including that part, probably, because I just don't know. Um, What I can say is that the music is done by the same person and it's excellent. And it is like the motifs are similar in a really exciting way but it still feels just different enough that it's very very good okay i'll take it i I (laughs) hope they do something to open up the show maybe they'll do a cold opening yeah that was my maybe that's what it is is that it was kind of a cold open and then the thing is gonna be there it's just not done yet or something i just really have no idea but i did that was something in my notes i was like whoa there's no because yeah that whole sequence was iconic 
Yes. And there's no math. Or, I mean, I guess I would say from what I remember from Fire and Blood, the world building wasn't as complicated because it the geographically just wasn't as many, I would yes. say continents. There's only two continents, but you know, right. there wasn't you didn't have to jump around as much. This is right. more centrally located. So I don't know if they'll use the map if they do go that route, but I That's love true. an amazing theme song. Well, and it's interesting to hear you point that out because I think that was actually something for me that like narratively got really frustrating about Game of Thrones was that all the important characters were in totally different places. Like it wasn't until those last couple episodes that they're finally all having conversations with each other. And those were some of the most exciting episodes. And some of that felt very narratively rewarding. I think about like when the Stark siblings finally all get, you know, back together. Like that's really exciting. But I think uh, my guess is that you can have a much more easily plotty show when everyone's mostly in the same place most of the time, you know? Okay. Yeah. Which is well, I'll, look, I'll look out for that. Did I, I hand that to you before I asked my last, <laughs> my last couple questions? Cause now I'm just filled with, <laughs> with, with material. <laughs> no, the only thing I just wanted to add to that. I hope that the title sequences are going to be consistent with what we remember from game of Thrones, where every little sequence was different. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. How the opening, yes. there was always something different with yeah, every single imagine. episode. I hope they keep that tradition going with House of the Dragon because that, that was like a little detail. Easter egg for us. Like, oh okay, God. we had something to look forward to. So hopefully they they have that continue with the, the opening sequence. But mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead, Angelica. Yeah, I'm down with that. And it's funny because like usually when I binge shows, it'll tell you like skip the intro right I right. never skip the intro oh, no matter, no many times awesome. how I've watched it I always like no oh, I'm gonna sit through this even though I've seen it a million times so. dun, 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 dun. it's already stuck in my head most of the day it's just gonna be there <laughs> so since I know you've only seen one episode mm-hmm. thus far since we're gonna I kind of want to get a feel of the new silver queen or mm. queen to be your princess mm-hmm. what similarities do you see between Daenerys and Rhaenerys or Rain and I don't quite know the pronunciation since she hasn't I haven't seen the show yet but Mm. between the two what are the similarities and I guess what are the differences Rhaenerys that is a really great question and it's something I'm super excited to talk to Jason about actually when we tape around episode one because you know, we only saw Daenerys in Game of Thrones. Like, she was the only teenage Targaryen we knew, right? I mean, there weren't many Targaryens at that point. Um, Rhaenyras is way different. Wait, is it Rhaenyra? It's Rhaenyra. Sorry, can we... I think there is a Rhaenyris, but it's not her. But yes, Rhaenyra. (laughs) Rhaenyra is way different. She's like, you know, and there's even this great quote in the first episode when she is sitting with her friend Alicent Hightower and she says something that's pretty much like I just want to ride dragons and eat cake like she and you know I assume this will change and this is part of the character development that we're going to see but she has no interest in the throne at this point and she's been raised in immense privilege and she's like a kind of a happy-go-lucky sweet smart teenage girl which is so different from Daenerys right like it's it couldn't be more different and that's partly what's exciting too I just think you know Daenerys it was like so everything was so heavy and intense which makes sense given her origin story but it's kind of fun 
to see someone whose story isn't like completely rooted in trauma and maybe like yet is probably how I should finish that sentence. But, um, but yeah, it's cool. It's exciting. Yeah, I think I'll look forward to seeing that carefree Targaryen because that's not you like know? a thing right. on Game of Thrones. They're all intense. Yeah, that lie. I just want to fly dragons and eat cake. It's like, me too, girl. <laughs> Marie Antoinette of her. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And they both have kind of silvery hair. So that kind True. of like, dig it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to listening to your podcast. I'm obviously very excited for House of the Dragon when that drops. Uh, for our listeners, can you tell them when they can tune into your show and um, where they can listen and any other information that they need to know to find out or tune in? Yeah, totally. So leading up to the show premiere, we're going to have a couple of episodes on Wednesdays, kind of like setting up the world for people, especially if they're not super familiar with Game of Thrones. We have one about like the history of the Targaryen family. We've got one about the geography of Westeros. We're going to do some of our um, cast and showrunner interviews in there, too. And then once the show starts, which is on Sunday, August 21st, the podcast is actually going to be in your feeds right after the show airs on Sunday nights. So and that, you know, wherever you get your podcasts and you can also listen to it actually in HBO Max, too, which is cool. Awesome. Wow. That's great. So you can watch the show, listen to the podcast for the recap. Block off your Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) And go from there. Well, Greta, it was a pleasure speaking with you. This was absolutely fun to just chat about all things House of the Dragon. I'm so excited for this series. I can't wait. I can't wait to go on Twitter again and start live tweeting. Uh, (laughs) y'all. I can't wait to see it. Thank you for having me. And yeah, this has been super fun. It was just a, a delight to chat with both of you. So thanks. Thank you. Take care. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax and Ryan Bennett. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and Spotify. 